Dr. Owen Zuiwa, will you tell me a bit about your family life and your childhood growing up in Ogoni? Uh, thank you very much. Um, I guess that my childhood was like that of many other children in, in Ogoni. I grew up uh, in a small town called Bori. Uh, population as at that time was probably about 5,000 uh, people. Uh, my father um, used to work in the, uh, worked in the civil service uh, in that town and uh, took care of the market. Um, he was um, the manager of the market. Uh, my mother had um, uh, had many stalls in the market, so she was uh, a trader uh, in the same market where my father used to supervise. Um, so my father was polygamous. That means he had many wives. Um, and um, so I grew up in a household full of a lot of children. Um, my mother uh, was uh, the only of my father's wives you know, that was with him in Bori. Uh, the other, um, her other mates, you know, were somewhere else. Uh, but all the other children were in my mother's house. Uh, so it, it was a big family. Uh, a respect for our parents was very important and respect for anybody um, or any of the other, the other siblings who are older than you was also taken for granted. You don't argue uh, with your older siblings. Um, so I did not actually um, know my eldest brother very well because by the time I was... Um, I got to know anything. He wasn't around. He was in uh, boarding schools, you know, and only used to come once in a while uh, during the holidays. And what was your impression of him when he came on holidays? What was he like? Well, you know, he was... Um, I, I I used to ask my, my mom, who is that? And I said, that's your brother. You know, and um, I remember one day he called me uh, and I went to him and... Uh, in the morning, he asked me to open my mouth and show my teeth. I did. <laughs> and he put a toothbrush, you know. I started brushing my teeth. You know, I was bleeding. Yeah, that was probably the first time, you know, I was going to toothbrush. I, I was very young then. And then another thing I remember very well is that there's always um, a noise coming from his room. Uh, that's the radio. Uh, he would wake up very early and uh, put on the radio. Um, we speak, uh, as at that time, foreign languages. Uh, th then later I got to know that you know, that was a French station. So he will go from one station to the other, you know, um, softening the radio as it is as it was then. You went on to study medicine, Owens, and as you were setting up your first clinic, Ken was busy with Mossop. Tell us a bit about that. Yes, I went on to, to study medicine and um, I worked in many places in Nigeria. And finally, uh, after my internship was posted uh, back to uh, Bori, 
uh, where I was born and where our home um, was. And there was a day that uh, Ken came to Bori uh, to see our mom. And he asked me, you know, to come with him in his car. He stopped by my clinic and asked me to come with him in his car. And um, as we were going to see my mom, we noticed a huge smoke, you know, uh, bellowing out from the earth as it is, you know. Um, and he asked, what is that? And I said, oh, that's a shell fire. And he said, will those smoke? I said, yes. You know, sometimes, you know, the smoke can be so bad that we cannot uh, see somebody, you know, who is maybe about 10 meters away. Uh, so he said, so you see this a lot? I said, yes. I I don't do anything about it. I said, well, I treat those who come, you know, those who come with uh, asthma and uh, bronchitis and other uh, respiratory um, diseases, you know, uh, due to the inhalation of these smokes. And he said, and you think that's enough? I said, no, you know, but I do know that um, uh, you have been talking a lot about uh, the need uh, for the companies, you know, to stop polluting. And, um, and, and, and I think that's fine. Uh, I, I, I would treat those, you know, who, <laughs> you know, who get sick. And uh, he was very upset about that. He thought that um, um, I shouldn't just wait to treat, I should prevent, you know, which is basically what he was doing, you know. So that was my introduction to... Um, the whole uh, world of uh, environmental justice, and uh, and from there, from then, I started, you know, uh, going to the meetings, you know, that was being held by um, the different groups, and uh, I contributed, you know, in whatever way that I can to the debate. Mm -hmm. Yes, and can. Uh wrote the Ogoni Bill of Rights. What did that involve? What, would, what did that state? Uh, basically, the Ogoni Bill of Rights um, put some uh, states uh, in brief, talks a little bit about uh, the Ogoni people and makes some demands, you know, uh, from the Nigerian government and from uh, the multinational company that was operating on our land, that is Shell. Uh, basically, it it demands uh, the rights of the Ogonis, you know, to their language, you know, for them to study, uh, for them to study in their language and learn their language. It demands, you know, for the Ogoni people to participate uh, in Nigeria uh, to be able uh, to uh, to rule themselves within Nigeria. Uh, it demands. You know, for the Ogonis, uh to have a voice uh, within the Nigerian context, uh, it also demands the right to self-determination uh, for the Ogoni people within Nigeria. It also demands our right to a clean environment. It demands uh, that Shell uh, should clean up 
uh, the environment, the pollutions, you know, that it's been uh, to clean up the land and also pay compensation uh, for the destroyed environment to the people, you know, whose, whose uh, livelihood, you know, have been so destroyed. That, in brief, is, is what uh, the Ogunin Bill of Red talks about. And then what happened to follow up on that in January, on January 4th, 1993? Yeah, following the Ogunin Bill of Rights, um, on January 4th, 1993, uh, hundreds, about 300,000 Ogunin uh, men, women and children uh, came up uh, to, to the streets of Ogunin uh, marching from their villages, you know, and converging in Bori, which is the political capital of Ogoni. And it was a very peaceful protest for a clean environment. It was a very peaceful march, you know, that was asking, you know, for the Nigerian government and Shell uh, to read the Ogoni Bill of Rights and answer back to the Ogoni people and uh, and enter into negotiations with the, with Mossop and the Ogoni, uh, so that those uh, demands, you know, that were made on the uh, in the Ogoni Bill of Rights can be negotiated, you know, and agreed upon. It was that uh, simple. It was um, a simple request by a lot of people in a, in a very peaceful way. Shortly after that, Shell claimed that they withdrew from Ogoni. What triggered that? I, when Shell says they withdrew from Ogoni, I don't understand it. Because Shell was, uh, Shell's presence in Ogoni uh, were in the form of their pipelines, draining the oil <clears throat> uh, away from um from my land uh those pipelines were there those the oil was to be drilled away the flares of of the of the the flares of shell were still on as at that time shell staff did not live in Ogoni. it was too polluted for them to live to live in there so I, I don't know what that means when they said they pulled out. They were still having commercial relationship with uh, the Ogoni environment to the detriment of the Ogoni environment. And that's all they've always had. What happened after that, Owens, at Biara? Well, after um, the protest... Um, which was in January. At Biara, I think that was in April or, or March at the same year, um, some women and men uh, went to their farm early in the morning and um, they met their farmland being bulldozed by contractors who were working for Shell. And of course, they protested immediately. And Shell uh, had the military... Uh, who were armed with automatic weapons, um, they shot 
into the crowd that were protesting. And um, a lot of people were injured, uh, including uh, one woman, Mrs. Kalolo, you know, who was, um, whose arm was shot, and she was taken away by the military people. Shortly after that, the Nigerian government issued the Treason and Treasonable Offences Act. What did that mean for the movement? Well, the Treason and Treasonable Offences Act, if I can remember very well, stated that anybody who had a thought, you know, about self-determination or, you know, a lot of um, laws of that nature, you know, a lot of weddings of that nature, uh will be hanged, will be killed. So tell me then about Ken's first arrest shortly after. Yeah, Ken's... Um, well, immediately after the, um, after the massive protest, Ken uh, was invited by uh, the military dictatorship at that time uh, to Abuja, and uh, he went. I had a discussion and came back. And... Um, after that time, for the first time, arrest, detention, several, you know, negative activities, you know, um, at the airports, you know, just intimidation, you know, were the sort of things that was happening to Ken. Uh, so these arrests, you know, particularly the, the, the arrest where he stayed, you know, for a long time, you know, where there was, um, the Ogunis had decided not to participate in the political uh, process because we thought and we knew that that process was not, you know, legitimate and it was not going to answer any of our demands. So it was a protest uh non-violent method of refusing to vote in an election. And Ken was arrested because of that. Uh, and then uh, this treason and treasonable um, act was now used, you know, as a ploy to detain him. That was the first time, you know, that the government wanted to kill him using that law. But because of uh, international protests, uh, he was released. Immediately after he started voicing his concerns about the destruction of the Ogoni environment, immediately after he started talking about um, what Shell and the military dictatorship was doing uh, to the Ogoni people, that by destroying their land and their waterways, you are, uh, they are destroying the Ogoni people's livelihood. Because we are farmers and fishermen. If you destroy our farms, nothing is going to grow. If you pollute our rivers, the fishes are not going to thrive, and the fishermen will have nothing to catch. There'd be nothing else to do. There was no job, nothing. Immediately, he started talking and writing about that. 
He was a marksman by the military dictatorship and shell. There's an incident in Ka shortly after that. Owens, can you tell us what happened in that village? Well, I, I was um, in my clinic as usual, and um, and motorcycles and some cars were bringing in some, you know, bodies and people with gunshot wounds. And I asked, "What's happening?" And they said that the that the village of Ka was invaded by armed men. Uh, those who came as at that time told me that the armed men came with boats, in boats bearing the, the inscription of the oil company shell. And so I, I did, you know, what I normally do, arrested the bleeding uh, for those who were bleeding quite a lot. And then when the when the you know when the bodies became quite uh, well when the injured became quite so many, I mobilized the doctors who were around in Bori. They all came to the clinic. Then I went off to Car to try and see what was happening. And when I got to Car, the many houses had been dynamited or destroyed, or I don't know what instrument was used. There were bullet holes in many houses. Uh, um, almost all the houses in that village had been either bombed out uh, with grenade or burnt to the ground. And there were a huge surge of people who are moving out of the village, you know, um, with almost nothing on them. Women, men, children, you know, were streaming out and continue to stream out of the village and from the forest around the village, out of the village onwards to the, the other villages nearby. That was presented in the national press as an ethnic conflict, but you're fairly sure that wasn't the case. It was not an ethnic conflict uh, of any of any sort. Uh, it is true that the government came from another uh, neighboring um, ethnic community uh, by way of passing into Ogoni, uh, the Andoni, but the the Ogoni people and the Andoni people have been living in peace for a, a long time. There is a, a very wide river that divides the two communities, and uh, there were no land disputes or uh, waterway disputes between the Ogoni and and the Andoni people. I I had in my hospital uh, a doctor from Andoni who was working for me with me and also patients and nurses, and everything was such a surprise. Shortly afterwards, there were similar incidents at Oloko. What happened there, Owens? The Oloko incident was also a surprise, and it's, it's just almost the same thing that's happened in, uh, in car. I was in my clinic, and uh, gunshots 
you know, uh, patients were coming in, and uh, I ran out of sutures in this case, and I I ran down to Port Harcourt, the big city, uh, to get some uh, medical materials. Uh, on my way back, I also saw people streaming out from Oloko, so I decided to visit. And on my way to Oloko, I saw more bodies uh, in the villages, the Ogoni villages, and I decided to go on because I was with my ambulance. Uh, unfortunately for me, I met uh, a regiment of the Nigerian army, and uh, I was arrested and <laughs> and taken to detention and uh, and to the military detention. Later, to the police uh, detention, and I was charged for more than arson. <laughs> yes. That is what happened. My luck was that while in Portacourt uh, to buy those medical commodities, I saw a journalist, you know, and I told him what was happening. And he said, I'm not going to publish that unless I see more. So he came with me, came with me back to uh, Bori and went with me to Oloko. So when I was detained, he was also detained. When they found out that he was a journalist, he was released. So two weeks later, he published what happened, and that was my savior. So you were released from detention? I was released from detention. On bail. (laughs) What happened then afterwards with the four chiefs at Gokana? Yeah, the Gokana incidents... uh, was very unfortunate. I was, again, in my clinic, and somebody ran up to my clinic and told me that uh, my late brother, Ken Sarawiwa, has been arrested. I said, by who? He said, oh, the Nigerian army. I said, what do you mean arrested? He was supposed to come to Bori and other places. He said that, yes, he came to Bori, but they prevented him, you know, from uh, from addressing uh, the people he wanted to address in Bori. So that I knew, and I knew he was on his way back to Port Harcourt. Uh, but while he was going, and uh, one of those who was with him, you know, invited him a uh, little meter, invited him to come to his village, you know. Uh, to have some lunch or something before going to Potaka. And so while he was going to Ledun's village, he was stopped again by the by the military, just as he was stopped in Bori and asked to go back to Potaka. And he went back to Potaka. Later on, you know, a short distance from where he was stopped and asked to go back. I heard that four of our chiefs were having a meeting with other uh, prominent people from that area and that those four were killed on that day. And uh, 
So my brother went back to his house. Uh, by then, my brother was even at his house in Port Harcourt, far away. Far away. I was in my clinic in Bori, uh, very different from where they were having the meeting. I didn't even have any idea that there was such a meeting going on. And those four chiefs were killed. I don't know by, nobody knows whom. Uh, there are some people who believe that they were killed, you know, by Irish youths in that community who were angry that the military wouldn't let my brother and others come to address them. There are those who said they were actually killed by the, by the military people in order to frame my brother and others. So that is what happened as far as I know on that day. But after that day, um, I think the following day, my brother was um, arrested in his bedroom, in his house, um, and um, and several others, you know, were also being looked for and being arrested. So many people were being arrested at random in the village. All the uh, most of the leadership of our organization, you know, especially uh, the journalists, uh, the writers, the lawyers, uh, the doctors, uh, the teachers, you know, were specifically targeted. I was, uh, I said, when I had my brother was arrested, I went to search for him and another of my friends. And I didn't see them in any of the detention centers in River State, in Port Harcourt. So I took a flight the next morning to Lagos. Because when he was arrested uh, in 1993, he was driven all night to Lagos. So I thought maybe the same thing has, had happened. So I went to Lagos you know, to continue the search. It was while I was in Lagos the next morning that I had on the radio that I was also wanted in connection with the death of our chiefs. What was the last time you saw Ken Owens? Hmm. The, the last time I saw him was um, two weeks before um, he was arrested. He was arrested May 22nd. 1993. Yeah. So I would have I saw him last in uh, in early May. Just a normal meeting. It was a normal meeting, in a way. But. I remember vividly, I was, I went to see him in his office uh, in Port Harcourt. And he said, you know what, that, that he wanted me to stop participating in the struggle. Yeah. That, that the, the people, his words, we are dealing with are dangerous and they would stop at nothing. And he thought that 
they will want to harm me just to get at him. And from the point and that Ken was arrested, your yeah. life did change irrevocably as well. Yeah, I, I was a glad wanted for murder. So Ken was right in what he predicted. Yes, but he thought that they wanted to kill me. Yeah. He thought they wanted to kill me. And that that was going to hurt him. I was going to make him stop. And so he said that at least it's good for one of us to be alive in this. Yeah. But he was more concerned about my life than his from the way uh, he talked to me on that day. You know, and I was, I, I was um, I'm very happy there, you know, because I was already very, very involved with the struggle. And I came into the struggle a little bit reluctantly, you know, but the more, you know, I got involved, the more I knew I had to stay, even if it is to do things to make sure that he is alive. <laughs>